Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, July 7th, 2020, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Well, tonight we have two very special guests who are are calling in all the way from Australia, and um, in the words of our guests, Stephen and Evan Strong, this is what they are going to talk about tonight, and they say, primarily, I am original and was given ceremony with a task to inform the world of the true original history and heritage using science, artifacts, and bones. We are the first people. We traveled around the world in ancient times, exporting our knowledge, magic, and combined original Pleiadian genes. The reason the elders decided to share our secrets and evidence is because there is a prophecy of a fundamental cleansing of the planet and humanity, which begins at Uluru on the 21st of December, 2020, when the final ceremony will be given. It is their belief and ours that hidden at Uluru is a magic box of sorts, which they will try and turn on. And if successful, everything changes. If they fail, the earth will take matters into her own hands and cleanse herself and all that reside upon it. So this might be our last chance. Some topics we'll be uh, discussing tonight include, obviously, this prophecy, the bones we have of a Pleiadian, um, and Lemurian rings, sacred sites with alien narratives at the Standing Stone site and Kerryong, sacred rocks bearing technology beyond our capacities today, a metal object which has one quarter of metallic content that does not exist on this planet, and the wisdom of the keepers of of the old way, history, and magic. Um, Stephen and Evan's latest book, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, is now available, and you can find that on their website at ForgottenOrigin.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds not heard in the mainstream. We'd like to thank Kathy and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or a comment for our guests. We have an online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please, all you have to do is click follow on our page here, and you'll get our weekly show notices if you enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And please be aware that due to a massive global Starseed activation, our waiting lists are at about six months. But that will start shrinking now because our new astrologers have completed their starseed training and will be helping us and our starseed community. 
And it's interesting that this awakening started over a year before our current global crisis, and you are all bringing more light to this world. Well, if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And that only takes a few days. There's no wait for that. But if you do want a stage two interpretation of that chart, you still need to order it at least six months ahead for now (laughs) to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours. So first up this evening, I want to introduce Anastasia, if I can find her. There you are on the switchboard here. And uh, hang on a second. There we go. <laughs> it's not, Hi there. It doesn't work if, I, if, if we don't have the applause first. It just doesn't work anymore. <laughs> You're just adorable, and I just love it. I just love it. Thank you so much. I notice I don't get any applause afterwards, though. <laughs> oh, I can That's change right. that. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> it's perfect. Thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you. We have constantly changing news and stuff, and I made some last-minute adjustments. So you know what? Just bear with me as I share this with you today. We've got some fun things to talk about. I want to start about talking about good news and politics. So here's a couple of stories that should encourage you greatly. Um, The Michigan House of Representatives have passed a bill that makes it illegal to force people to take microchips. Um, lawmakers in Michigan have passed this bill that makes it illegal for employers to force their workers to be tagged with microchips in a bid to preemptively thwart companies that will seek to make it mandatory to wear uh, productivity tracking devices. Isn't that something? The Michigan House uh, passed the bill Wednesday, which would make acceptance of the microchip implants voluntary. A person cannot be fired or punished for not taking these chips. Now, this move comes as a growing number of companies are exploring the idea of using these subdermal radio frequency identification chips as a substitute for time cards, ID badges, and security clearance devices. So here's a House of Representatives in a state moving against the corporate, uh, what, tidal wave of uh, monitoring people. Good for them. And a federal judge, this is big has ruled that the Dakota Access Pipeline must be shut down. What do you know? Uh, A federal judge on Monday ordered the Dakota Access Pipeline in North Dakota to stop delivering oil and vacated a key federal permit that had allowed it to operate. You all remember when that happened? Now, Mm -hmm. this is a dramatic setback for the controversial pipeline. Um, It's a second major setback to the U.S. pipeline industry in as many days coming less than 24 hours after backers of the Atlantic Coast Pipeline canceled that natural gas project after years of legal challenges. This order is also another rebuke to the presidential administration's attempts to quickly approve pipelines, which critic has said leaves them open to legal challenges from environmental groups. Now, this judge from the U.S. District Court of uh, Columbia ruled that the Dakota Access Pipeline must be emptied while the Army Corps of Engineers conducts environmental impact review and said that it should have completed this before it granted an easement that allowed this energy company to build the pipeline in North Dakota in the first place. 
And that's, of course, what the tribes were saying all along. The Native American tribes had challenged this easement as part of their many-year-long battle against this pipeline, which they have said, correctly so, is an environmental threat to their lakes. So there it is. The um, attorney for the Standing uh, Rock Sioux tribe said, it took four long years, but today justice has been served at Standing Rock. Oh. That's quite a surprise. That, that yeah. doesn't happen. All right, now let's talk about bees. You all know I love bees. But guess what the U.K.'s uh, biggest bee farm is telling us? They are saying that now, because of the lockdown, the bees are just doing great. Uh, they say that in a world with less air pollution, bees can make shorter and more profitable shopping trips to the flowers, and this may help them have more babies. And this is a professor of evolutionary ecology at the University of London was saying this. He said, aside from less air pollution due to the lockdown restrictions and changes to people's commuting habits, there's another benefit of fewer cars on the roads. I never thought about cars killing bees, but apparently there was a 2015 study that reported there was an annual 24 billion bees killed by vehicles across North America by cars. Never thought about that. And a beekeeper at the U.K.'s largest bee farm feels that the lockdowns have been very good for their industry. Less traffic, less pollution makes a difference to the environment, which, of course, has positive effects for the bees. She also said that I think more people are more aware of nature, what's going around them now in the countryside because of lockdown. Hopefully these changes will last. She said people seem to be more aware of nature. Maybe when they see beehives, uh, when they're out and about, they'll be thinking more about the food that they're eating and where it comes from, that the lockdown takes people back to their roots, making them look at what's necessary in life and what's not, and about being uh, basic and having a, a more natural outlook on life. And I don't know about you guys, but certainly the people that I work with have uh, experienced that just exactly like that. Um, giving people a few times to shut down, to turn off, uh, get out of the the rat race and the demands and get time alone and with their families. Honestly, I have seen more spiritual growth in the last three months than I've seen in the same people that I've worked with over a period of years because they have time to collect themselves. They have time to think. They have time to study and research and be with nature and be with each other. It has been an incredible shift. Um, an unexpected benefit of a difficult time. Well, in New Orleans, at the zoo there, they are expecting a baby. Not a human baby, of course. This is a zoo, although maybe... Well, never mind. I won't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Just forget that. There is a critically endangered gorilla in the New Orleans Zoo that's expecting her first baby, and they're already training her with a doll that will show her how to hold her future offspring. Now, this gorilla's name is Tsunami. She's 13 years old, and she has a training doll that doesn't look anything like a gorilla because they say a stuffed toy would be torn apart by a gorilla. So instead, what they did was they took this really tough piece of canvas fire hose tubing, and they cut it to the proportions and weight of a four-pound newborn gorilla. So she's playing with a big, heavy rubber hose, and they're <laughs> teaching her about how to take care of her baby. Now, 
The mother and father gorilla are what they call western lowland gorillas. And although there were about 362,000 in the wild in 2016, every year their numbers fall about 3%, and it makes them critically endangered. So anyway, they've had a lot of habitat loss, and they've had lots of threats. But now 350 of these gorillas are in facilities that were accredited by the associations of zoos. And so this this gorilla is in a safe place, and the due date is anywhere, they say, between mid-July this month, of course, and the end of August. And the mother weighs 160 pounds. She's receiving twice-monthly ultrasounds, and she's undergoing training, like I told you, on how to pick up the doll, how to hold it, and how, how to nurse it. Now, guess what the zoo has done? This is wild. They've also trained another female gorilla to do all the same things, how to take care of the baby, just in case the mother loses interest. So they have prepared as a backup mama a foster mother gorilla. I'm uh-huh. thinking ahead. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's they're, they're all excited about this. This is a big deal. It really is. So I wish that to go very, very well. And, and uh, this is a really interesting story. The Dalai Lama is going to turn 85 years old, but he's going to do that in a big way. Now, you probably never thought about getting the Dalai Lama's music album. Probably never crossed your mind. Who would think that the Dalai Lama would produce an album? But he did, with some help. Um, The name of the album is called Inner World. It debuts uh, either maybe next week, maybe I think next week, but this is on the occasion of his birthday, his 85th birthday. And uh, Reuters said it leaves him on track to make a bid for music chart stardom. They wonder how many records he's going to sell. Anyway, the album features 11 tracks of meditations, mantras, and teachings that have been set to nice music. And the Dalai Lama, in a statement, said, Music has the potential to transcend our differences. It can return us to our true nature of warm-heartedness. That's nice. Well, the concept for the album was first suggested to him by a New Zealand musician who traveled to India back in 2015 to record her conversations with him at his residence. And then she blended his voice with music. Now, for those who are wondering why the Dalai Lama would agree to such a project, he gives a very simple uh, Dalai Lama-like answer. He said, The very purpose of my life is to serve as much as I can. Music can help people in a way that I can't. Wonderful. I love that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. He's not so stuck on what he has to say. He is about helping people. That's his first and foremost concern, and and so he's adapting to that. That's beautiful. All right, let's talk about hummingbirds for a second. This is really amazing. You know, I've often said, and I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before, but humans can only see about 1% of the visible light spectrum. And you and I and other human beings see what we call the rainbow colors, and we refer to our auric uh, energy field as the rainbow body. So we're very familiar with colors of the rainbow. And I think that as we get older, we realize that dogs don't see the same colors we do, and other animals don't. But now scientists have been studying uh, all the various animals and how they perceive parts of the light and color spectrum differently, and how this affects how different animals perceive color at all. 
Well, they've done a new study now on broad-tailed hummingbirds. and This has come to a very surprising conclusion. According to researchers, these broad-tailed hummingbirds can see a great deal of color that is outside of our spectrum. Um, it's hard for us to even comprehend that there are different colors that we've never seen before. We wouldn't he- even have the names for them. And as a clairvoyant, I can tell you that in the energy field, there are many colors that we don't normally see with our eyes, and they're glorious, but I don't have the name for them to tell you what they are. And that is similar to a hummingbird. This new study suggests that a full third of the vision of broad-tailed hummingbirds exists outside of our visual spectrum. Now, the results of this study were published in the journal called Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And it described the experiment, which was designed to test whether the birds can tell the difference between the spectral colors in a hybrid of UV, UV, uh, ultraviolet, and spectral colors. Now, researchers discovered that hummingbirds experience a significant enhanced universe of color combinations. Now, we as humans have three cones that give us our perception of color, but we can't see UV light. Now, birds have four cones, which augments their color perception and allows them to see UV light. And they tell us that birds are certainly not the only species with a wildly different color perception than we. Now, did you know that bees cannot see red? Uh, They can only see yellow, green, and blue. But they can see ultraviolet light. And butterflies are known to have at least 15 different types of photoreceptors. That allows them to see an enormous color palette. And the mantis shrimp, which is 400 400 million years old, and has 400 million year old optical apparatus, has 12 color receptors. So Different animals see different things. And, you know, when we wonder about animal behavior and how they discover things and find things and know things, I wonder if we often stop to realize that they have far greater sensory abilities or at least different than we do. And this may be very well how they navigate and find and exist and survive. It would be fascinating to see. And uh, our final story tonight kind of ties in with the subject, and I want to share this with you, our guest tonight. Um, This came out of a French publication. It's about an ancient aboriginal underwater site discovered off the western Australia coast. And they tell us that archaeologists have for the very first time found aboriginal artifacts on the seabed of Australia, which opens a door to the discovery of ancient settlements that were flooded since the last ice age. And hundreds of ancient stone tools made by the Australia's indigenous people at least 7,000 years ago, were discovered two meters underwater off the remote Australia coast, Western Australia. Then they found another site. They found a second site that revealed traces of human activity 14 meters below sea level that dated back 8,500 years. Although researchers believe that the dating may be wrong, they say that the sites are probably even more ancient. Archaeologists are saying that this find marks an exciting first step in uncovering more aboriginal sites thought to have been flooded since the last ice age between 18,000 and 8,000 years ago. Uh, One of the uh, professors who authored the study said the sea level 
rises covered more than 30% of the vast continent of Australia in water. What do you know about that? 30%. Wow. It was big. Um, He said, a huge amount of the archaeological evidence documenting the lives of the Aboriginal people is now completely underwater. Now we finally have the first proof that at least some of this archaeological evidence uh, survived the process of the sea level rise. They, what they did was they used airborne laser scanners and high-resolution sonar on bo- boats to pinpoint these sites, and they actually were able to locate 269 artifacts. He said this will help us better understand the life of the people who were so connected uh, to these lands and which are now underwater. And uh, they say that the uh, Aboriginal sites in inland Australia are dating back at least 65,000 years. Now, just think about that. Uh, My goodness, 2,000 years for us in our Western thinking is a long time ago. 8,000, 16,000, 65,000. Wow, does this planet have a lot of history. And speaking of history, I decided to let you guys escape Einstein for tonight. (laughs) I know I quote him a lot. So I'll give you a break. But this is very good. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. The occasion is piled high with difficulty, and we must rise with the occasion. As our case is new, so we must think anew and act anew. Wow. I thought that was very appropriate. Very relevant. We must think anew and act anew because it's a new time. All right, that's it for tonight. From my heart to each one of you, much love. Have a beautiful couple of weeks, everybody. And I hope we can get our guest on the air tonight. Is he in oh, Australia, yes, Ariel? Yeah, they are here, and I'm sure they are uh, have knowledge about this because they're archaeologists in Australia. So, um, that yeah, I'm really wonderful. interested yeah. This is going to be so, a fabulous, fabulous show. All right. My is. love to everybody. Have a good night, and I'll catch you next time. Thanks, Anastasia. Bye-bye. <laughs> there you go. Thank I told you. you I could make that happen. <laughs> okay. You are adorable. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So uh, I'm going to get Lavendar's mic open, and our guests, Stephen and his son, Evan Strong, get your mic open. And uh, let's just hope that the uh, <laughs> that the uh, the uh, the cell phone waves are kind to us tonight. How are you doing? Can you hear us okay? Yeah, I can. It's all good. <clears throat> Hopefully, okay. you can hear me. Okay. Good. Good. So wherever you're standing, just stay right there because this seems to be good signal. So, Lavendar, are you ready to go? <clears throat> yes, I am. Thank you. Okay. So. So the strong is going to survive, right? And that's why you have the name. I just had to say that to you, Evan. (laughs) 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 Only the strong is going to survive now, that's for sure. So thank you for uh, being on short notice to give us this wonderful news. So whichever one of you wants to start talking about the the prophecy, just take it away. Okay, sure. Um, Yeah. Um, this is Evan here. Um, unfortunately, Steve couldn't make it today, but I'll I'll do my best to um, fill in for him as well. Um, so yeah, starting with the prophecy. 
Yeah, it was kind of a couple of years ago when we first started to hear about it. And um, as the years went by, we got more and more information. And it, it started with um, basically they were kind of having a bit of a is it this or that kind of discussion. And it was whether a Pleiadian kind of starcraft was going to either land or hover above Uluru. And they were unsure which one it was, but um, as time went by, we learnt more and more about that whole thing. And so, yeah, Uluru, um, some people call it Ayers Rock, but its proper name is Uluru. It's in the centre of uh, Australia. It's big red huge rock um and yeah so we learnt more and more and met more elders and they talked about great change coming so keeping in mind um they've all been pretty quiet when it's come to other um, points in time like 2012 and all of that stuff so this for them is uh, their prophecy um, and it's an important one. So they talk about a change happening, which we all kind of need. Um, <clears throat> so they talk about there being um, a switch of frequencies so that you've got the Schumann residence and it kind of fluctuates up and down a lot. So that will go to a higher level. So, but for that to happen, um, they've been doing ceremonies for the last decade in, in preparation for this. So, and it's been something that's been in place for thousands of years. Um, it was always going to come to this point. So, their ceremonies um, have now kind of been opened up a little bit and they've started talking about them. So what's going to happen on the 21st of December, and I think it's um, 9pm, is the seminal time. Um, and what we've been told is they're looking for a, a box now. It's, it's not like one of your uh, pirate-style um, chests. It's actually a box made out of rocks. So they're looking for a box made out of rocks um, within a rock because Uru is a massive rock. So a little bit harder to find um, than you'd think. So but within inside that are a bunch of crystals that the Pleiadians have put in. And this acts as a mechanism. So <clears throat> what is needed then is a certain amount of people to have positive and good intent and that box then kind of amplifies that energy and it goes into that box and then spreads to various sacred sites around Australia and then it jumps over to New Zealand which they call the Rainbow Bridge and once that happens the whole grid line ley lines around the Earth are activated and then that's when we as the whole planet then move into a higher frequency on the Schumann residence. So all going well, that's what's supposed to happen. Um, 
and <clears throat> which we're definitely hoping for, but um, it does require um, a yeah, it does require some effort from people to have good intentions and to not be fearful. And this is going to be a hard year for that with everything that's going on um, to kind of stay um, not scared. And um, yeah, so when Dad met um, the interlocutor to the elders um, to that um, area, um, they were discussing all of that and uh, trying to guess uh, yeah, they were trying to quiz Dad um, to say, you know, how many people do you think are necessary and how many people do you think will be able to make that change? And, yeah, as the years gone by, I think that number is definitely on the rise, which is good. At the start of the year, it was actually quite low and, and Dad couldn't guess the number because it was so low and... Um, it was one of those really intense conversations and it actually got um, um, the, the guy that ended up laughing at Dad going, oh, no, no, it's, it's much uh, lower than that. But I, I think that's, that's our job to kind of, you know, tell the world and um, try to get that to happen because I think if this doesn't happen, um, then I think then we'd be um, poles shifting and whatnot, as we know it's now somewhere in Siberia or something, um, then the planet then decides, all right, I've had enough of what's going on and it will actually clean itself um, by, I think they say, by moving the water three times. So that sounds a bit like a, a polar shift or something like that. Um, so we much prefer that doesn't happen. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we're hoping that we can, um, yeah. Uh, what is that? So, so let me it's let me ask. Religion. What is that? What is that date again? I didn't understand the date. What was the date? Oh, the twenty first of December. Um, and are you saying? Are you saying, sep- are you saying September? Are you saying December? What are you saying? December, December. So yeah, just before Christmas. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's the kind of general, uh, and obviously as time goes by, we'll get more and more information. But um, yeah, it definitely involves um, crystals, and yeah, I think what happens is if we can't make that change happen, it, it's um, more of a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Thanks for the fish, we're out of here type situation. So, um, yeah, so there should be, yeah, it needs us to help activate that, those crystals, that box, to then spread that energy around the world. Um, so, Evan, yeah, so uh, just, just yeah. so that you'll know, the sun at that time will be at 26 Sagittarius, which is the mark of galactic center. So yeah. that's kind of interesting yeah. that that date is the date of galactic center. Yeah, and, and we did ask them that, and I said, yes, that's very, very important. Um, yeah, it, it's not a coincidence. It's definitely tied in together with that. So um, isn't that funny that it's the, the same time? So, yeah, that's um, 
a good amount of confirmation there that something's going down. <laughs> but, well, uh, it's, yeah. it's definitely, I feel like that we're coming through a time when a lot of changes, we're getting rid of the old and going to the new. So a lot of star seeds and a lot of people that are awake are very aware of, of uh, their presence on the planet now. Because when we get ready to rise, we'll rise all at once, and it'll be a glorious thing to witness all of the star seeds that are wow. activated all over the planet. So I have great hope yeah. for, for the messages that you bring. I did want to ask you about the uh, the bones that you found. Can you sure. give us a little history of the bones that you found and the and the uh, Lemurian rings that you found? Yeah, no, sure. Um, I can start with the bones. Um yeah, so it was all a little while back, and we got um, through uh, a few different people got invited to. We just got sent a photo and they said, you know, what do you think of this? And initially, the photo looked like one of those elongated skulls. So we're kind of like, oh, well, hello. And then um, we did get uh, an invite to go down and, and um, they had a look. Um, and yeah, it, it wasn't an elongated skull. It was completely different. It's just the angle of the photograph. But it, it's um, a massive skull, and it kind of goes back and takes back towards the back. And there's quite an unusual-looking skull. It, it doesn't really look like us at all. It's got massive eyes, and the back part of the skull kind of tapers out to a big... Now, funny enough, with this skeleton, there was another one buried next to it, and it had a kind of, uh, what would you call it, a null kind of like a massive kind of bump on the back, which uh, Neanderthals tend to have. Um, And then since then, kind of spreading the word about that one, um, obviously a few issues with the government, not really... um, happy with that getting out there but hey you know um we're here to tell uh the truth and and what popped out um other people then came forward going oh i I, i've seen one that's similar i've um i've got one and and stuff like that so we had a student of a lecturer actually send me a photo from a mobile of one that her lecturer had so we went to go meet him and he found one well, actually, he got given one by someone that found one back in the 50s. But this is um, hundreds of kilometres away from the one that we'd visited. So we actually, he actually gifted that to us, hoping that we could get some testing done and, and stuff like that, which we're still trying to work on because, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a tough one. <laughs> the government really doesn't want that one to happen. But, uh, uh, yeah, so we've since then got it made um we've taken it to a guy that works for the australian museum and then he's reconstructed the skull so and then given it to uh another guy that works on um the alien and predator films making them as well um for those films so they've then reconstructed this skull and so we have yeah a, a we have that floating around, but basically, to describe the skull, it's got no forehead, it's got um, no no sutures, um, the cranium shape is completely different to ours, 
And here's the funny thing. The eyes are massive. And the nose shape's different to ours. Um, <clears throat> now, next to the second one, they found another skull nearby. I think they were building a shearing shed for sheep, of all things. And this second one had, it was a massive skull. And when we initially saw it, we thought it might have been a Demophoven. But the guys that were reconstructing the skulls said, oh, no, it's a Homo sapien archaic, which is our forerunner, which they hadn't found anywhere else in the world other than Africa, but now Australia. So we've got a Neanderthal, we've got this Homo sapien archaic, and then we've got two um, other things with these massive eyes. Now, we've since then come across a Dr. Artifix Clark from Montana University that talks about the moon people um, that had, here's this quote, the Cherokee first came to their land, there was well-tended gardens, and they talked about people that lived underneath the ground, small, blue-skinned and had large eyes. They called them the moon beings or the moon people. So we're thinking, um, they're talking about um, the same beings that we have a skull of. Um, yeah, we've since found a few other people talking about them, that they came to Earth on a spaceship. Um, that uh, another elder called Richard Anangini talked about, I pronounce things badly, sorry, um, star people who came many generations ago bought spiritual teachings and stories, maps of the cosmos, and they offered this freely. They were kind, loving, and set a great example. When they left us, my people said there was a loneliness not like no other. So, yeah, I mean, we're trying to work on these and get them tested. We actually do have people in laboratories wanting to test them, but we need kind of the go-ahead from the, the government to do that. So legally we can have these um, skulls and bones, but we can't um, let them leave the house. So, uh, yeah, when we do show people, then we have to take the models. Um, yeah, so we're thinking um, that these, yeah, these what we call them, um, no forehead or flat-headed beings are definitely alien and probably Pleiadian um, because in Australia, um, anyway, um, there is kind of one main meaning story the original people have, which is about the Pleiades, the seven sisters of Pleiades being chased by Orion. And uh, I've had some papers written that um, where they talk about the people from the sky being um, their countrymen or their cousins um, from the sky. Um, there's a, a huge star connection uh, amongst um, the original people's culture and origin stories. They, have, um, they don't have gods, they have sky heroes. And we've managed to get a hands on some papers that were written in the 30s about um, a fellow that we follow a lot called Frederick Slater that um, researched the Stonehenge site here in Australia. But he also um, talked about another site down uh, near Sydney called Mount Yango. And he talked about 
the Sky Hero um, coming to Earth and then flattening uh, a mountain called Mount Yenge. And these beings came out and um, some of them, one of them even looked around and went, oh, yeah, no, I don't like this place, and then hopped back into this massive uh, kind of tree-shaped rocket thing and then took off into the clouds, into the sky, and there's this smoke that came after it. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> big, strong star, star seed connection here in Australia, that's for sure. Um, and I guess we're lucky enough to, to um, have remains of that um, with us. So did you, did you find these remains at, at the Standing Stone site? Is that what happened there? Uh, no, no, they, they were found uh, a few thousand kilometres away. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely a connection to the Standing Stones because, um, yeah, there was... Um, the researchers back in the 30s um, actually kind of... He had this manual called Maragawalda, which was written by Eliza... Hamilton Dunlop, and she was uh, connected to the original people back in the 1800s. And she wrote a dictionary down, which oh, I'd love to find my a copy of, but it's one of the things that everyone's been looking for and no one can find it. Maybe it's locked up in a safe somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but, yeah, he used that manual to describe what was being said around the Standing Stone site and it was talking about um, people coming from afar through darkness and then bringing um, the light of God with them and the pillars of light and it's all this very uh, esoteric stuff but it always talked about people coming from a far off place to this earth and then um, talking about um, the propagation of life and those means being handed down to the people here. So, yeah, initially we um, weren't involved with all of the, the star stuff, but everywhere we look, there it is. It, it follows us everywhere. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, and I guess having that kind of, our fingers in a few things we get to see the similarities and going oh there's another starseed connection there's another one there's another one and they all kind of interconnect with each other so what is it that you would like for us to do as a as a starseed group for you on these dates that you're talking about is there anything in particular that you want us to do or are you inviting us to come to australia to participate with this what what is your vision of what's happening yeah, I'll get, um, because there's only so many people that can probably um, uh, get to the actual site, but from what um, I've been told is, yeah, people from all around the world can participate on, at that time by um, kind of not only embracing love and things like that, but to kind of... How do you describe it? And this, yeah, this was the discussion Dad had with them. It was to let go of, um, yeah, it's to think, okay, so example for me would be, you know, dealing with social media and, and, and getting frustrated because, you know, 
that are annoying people on social media that are trolls and whatnot like that. It's kind of, they talk about when, when you get annoyed with someone that actually spreads darkness into the universe. So it's kind of shedding that, um, which I'm working on. <laughs> it's hard sometimes. But, I know. Yeah, especially it, especially it, witnessing what... What we're yeah, with in the world is that. pretty pretty hard to witness right now. I, I, I totally agree. So, Evan, I, I wanted yeah. to uh, let you know that I really do appreciate you calling in, and I'd like to pass you over to my co-host, Arielle, who has the switchboard. And maybe she has some cool. questions for you about some of the new discoveries that uh, Anastasia was talking about on the radio show just earlier. So thank you so much for being cool. on. And I want you to send me anything that you think I, I need to see in order to help you um, do the things that you need to do with this event. So always keep me abreast at, at what we need to do for you, okay? Definitely, definitely. Okay. Thank you so, so back much. To you. Okay, so back to you, Ariel. Okay. Well, um, I'm curious, Evan, about this metal object that has um, one-fourth of its content. Um, oh, does not exist on the planet. Uh, what is that? Okay, so um, Dad's lucky enough to, you know, he, he's a good tennis player, so he plays tennis all the time. And one of the guys he plays tennis with um, runs a lab nearby. So we got handed this metal object by an elder that was researching the carry-on hieroglyphs, Bambara hieroglyphs, which has has all the Egyptian um, hieroglyphs. I think there's a couple hundred there. But she found this metal object and it had a little clasp on it and she gave it to me and Dad. And then um, so Dad's playing tennis with his friend and then um, he was lucky enough to take it to the lab. So what happened was they took it there and then one of the other uh, scientists there used a, a drill to kind of try to after we got permission to take a little sample out because um, it, it looks quite unusual. And the drill he put down in it actually snapped um, because it's so hard. So wow. they had to use a tipped drill to, to actually scrape off a bit. Because, um, so, yeah, the, the drill literally broke trying to get in there. So then they analysed it and, um, yeah, there was... Aluminium in it, uh, which is interesting because that area has got no bauxite uh, nearby. Um, there's a couple other elements, but yeah, I think it was about 23% unidentified. They couldn't find anything um, on this planet that matched whatever that was. And whatever it is um, makes it really strong. Um, so, yeah, that one's, yeah, definitely. And, and they're amazed, that lab, that, like, surely mainstream would want to follow that story or be interested in that. And that's like, no, you know, they're just not. Um, you know, we've uh, spread the word about it, but no one really wants to <laughs> deal with an unknown element. Um, but, yeah, that one's... <laughs> quite interesting because and it I think it had a little class 
thing. So I think it was actually worn as a necklace. And it was found next to a bone as well, which we had analysed and took to a base hospital. Um, and they were able to confirm that, yep, it was a bone and it was ancient because when bones get ancient, they get really light. Um, so, yeah, so next to each other. And they worked out it was the ball, um, the ball joint of um, the top of the leg um, that goes into the hip. That's the actual bone part. So, yeah, so that actual area where that came out of um, was supposedly where an Egyptian prince um, that came to Australia uh, a couple of thousand years ago was buried. So it could be that that necklace belonged to that prince, um, son of Khufu, um, and then when they, whoever took all the bones out, um, whether it was to be taken back to Egypt or stolen. I don't know, you know, how people love stealing tombs. Um, right. Those two bits must have been dropped or left behind. Um, and, yeah, um, that's what we've got um, with us at the moment. Um, but, yeah, you would think people around the world would be like, um, wow, t- 23% or whatever it is, unknown elements not of the periodic table. Um, that one thing is um, amazing just in itself, let alone all the other stuff. <laughs> right, um, right. Well, yeah. it seems that there are a lot of people in the world that um, if you if you don't like the information, if you just don't look at it, that makes it go away somehow. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah. so here is an object yeah. with um, content that does not originate on this planet. And, yeah, you think that that would be all over the news, but um, that would <laughs> that could open up Pandora's box uh, when it comes know, to, right. you know, their, their um, need to have control over the masses. So you just, you just don't acknowledge that, and uh, that makes it not true, then, I guess, if you don't acknowledge it. But I, I'm sure that there's more than one... Um, thing on this planet that has extraterrestrial origins outside of the people. Yeah. And um, I remember from the last time you were on um, with your dad that um, that they I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but that Australia was the first place when the Pleiadians arrived, that was that was the first place they visited. Yes. That's what the what the yeah. you know the original indigenous people um, I think had said. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so Australia is is really the uh, the uh, kind of the womb of the Pleiades uh, for this planet. And and what did you think uh, when uh, you know in the news um, Anastasia had mentioned? Um, Aboriginal mm. artifacts being found underwater. Um, do you have any information um, in addition to what she said, or is it news to you? Uh, um, you know, I heard about it a few days ago, but it, it doesn't surprise me because Australia used to be a much bigger landmass that was actually called Sahul, and it actually Papua New Guinea and Australia were joined. 
and Tasmania, which is a separate island, was joined as well. And the coastline went out a lot bigger. So it was actually a much bigger landmass. So I always wondered whether there was stuff underneath the waves. Um, but if there's stuff still there, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I'm not surprised, but I'm um, glad they've started looking. Uh, and there's also a dreaming story um, about um, the coastline kind of rising as well. Uh, I remember hearing about that a couple of years ago. So it doesn't surprise me that um, there's stuff underneath there. I guess we're lucky that we've got some technology as um, they can do that now, you know. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think it was Burrup Peninsula, so that's um, in Western Australia. Um, hopefully, it encourages them to um, look more. But yeah, things are um, definitely a little bit tense in Australia. We just lost a sacred site in Western Australia. Rio Tinto blew it up. Uh, the cave and yeah that happened about uh, a couple of weeks ago um and yeah the mining company um yeah basically destroyed it all and um the original people there um obviously well it's reached the world it went all around the world no one's happy um about that and yeah unfortunately it's there's a bit of a I call it the second land grab going on here in Australia. Within three weeks, we've had three different um, sites. But there was that one, and, and um, Steve was lucky um, to go out there years ago to try to save another site in Next Valley over. Um, and because it was under threat. So, yeah, he's, we've written a few articles about that one, but there's two more sites under threat at the moment. One's in Canberra. Next to the War Memorial, they want to build a private com gated community with tennis courts and pools um, over it. And it's a petroglyph, which I'm trying to save. And then in near the Carrion Glyphs, um, Hieroglyphs, there's um, a housing estate going in and it's going to be like two, three hundred metres away. And there are uh, some really sacred sites in that area uh, and unfortunately it's the original lands council that are behind building this so you've got a very split community at the moment down there um, and ecologically that area is very um, important as well they're hanging of uh, things going on there in several um, species so it's, 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 a, it's a tricky situation so we're, we're trying to kind of find a compromise there. But, I mean, those sites are already being damaged by people um, scratching and, and carving up souvenirs and things like that because uh, if the government puts in ranges and cameras, then they have to acknowledge that it's an important site and they don't want to acknowledge it. They still want to hold on to the... Uh, misnomer that it's a hoax so they can't recognize it so yeah that, that's a very tough situation um. well possibly then um when this um when this date comes the 21st of december mm -hmm. um 
possibly if with people's you know intent and their their good you know loving of the earth um you know see the the sacred sites being protected and their secrets yes. empowering the people and and that's mm. that's probably what the um what the controllers you know, don't want is to empower the masses uh, because then they would lose their uh, elite positions. But uh, I think, you know, if millions and millions of starseeds at, um, now you said 9 o'clock on the 21st of December in Australia. So, yeah, and I'll, that would I'll be, have that, to um, do a time conversion <laughs> for right now. Yeah, we'll have to do a time conversion because, you know, here in the U.S. it would be um, probably the, the 20th or maybe the wee, wee hours of the 21st, but we'll do the, do the time conversion. Um, so the Uluru is in um, what time zone? Uh, it's in the same time zone as South Australia, I think. It's in that middle time zone in Australia. So I think they're, I'm in New South Wales, so I think at the moment they're about half an hour behind me. But um, time conversion always gets me. But I'll, I'll, um, I have to get the computer <laughs> yeah. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I call it a temporal dyslexia. It's oh, like that okay, is great. if I, I, that, okay, that. <laughs> yeah, you can use that. Um, yeah, I have to do that all the time when I'm when I'm trying to calculate charts and and time zones and, uh, yeah, it 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 gets really challenging. But so the 21st of December at nine o'clock. Um, mm-hmm. at Uluru, everybody for whatever yeah. time zone you're in, do the calculation, and and at that moment, regardless of the date and the time, if it's the same moment, all these people are are uplifting the earth and mm-hmm. and just showing the compassion for the earth and and connection, um, you know, loving each other, um, uh, abandoning judgment and fear, all of those things, it just raises the frequency of the planet. And I, I think this is a very important because there are t- I mean, there have been times when you can feel it, you know, like, like mm-hmm. um, on Christmas Day, people aren't, they're pretty much not at work, and it's, it's a time of, you know, f- family and, and Christmas miracles, and you can almost feel the world being quiet right. on that day and that's because of it it's an energy a collective energy and we can just as easily um you know bring it up into the you know the highest frequencies of light and 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 that's just right. project the, the the uplifting and healing of the earth of the people um and and I, I would, I would hope that things like greed would just fall by the wayside, because you know, yeah, greed, I, sure greed is is really behind a lot of our problems. It really is, and I guess in the meantime, people just need to um, look out and for those sacred sites, and and you know, um, write letters to uh, the politicians and, and and all of that, and just just make it hard 
um, for people, for the developers, for the mining companies, for all those people that are greed focused. Um, you know, throw a little spanner in the works so it doesn't happen because I think those sacred sites are, are going to help energize and, and raise uh, the frequency. We need them here, so um, yeah, because that's part of that grid work um, that that pushes us up to the higher frequency in the Schumann resonance. Um, and this weekend, actually, we're having a conference, um, an online conference, actually. I've even got the American um, Times there talking about time conversion in there. Uh, so that makes it a bit easier. I think it's 4, 4 p.m. in New York. Um, and then I've got Chicago and LA Times in there as well, just to make it easier. <clears throat> it's our Sunday, but your Saturday. And we will talk a little bit more about um, the prophecy and um, probably a little bit more about carrying on that harvest site. And we've got a few, sorry about the shame of that. <laughs> we've got a few other speakers with us um, as well. We've got Mary Wobble talking about um, all those uh, starseed children that she works with. Um, and we've got Barry Eaton talking about past lives and how to access that, and Leah Capitelli talking about her past life in Atlantis. Um, so, yeah, that's it ends up being a full day, but the beauty of it is um, the people that, that tune in have seven days to come backwards and forwards and watch this. So, you know, I realise it's a hard slog to sit there the whole day, but there's a bit of time. Okay. Um, and, and, so, and what, what is the we, date on that? What is the oh, date that on is, that? that is, Oh yeah, that's um, this weekend actually, <laughs> a few days away. So okay, and is, is the information Saturday. is the information that you just gave is that on your website? It is. Or people can go to a page called ouralienancestry.net, and that Our... will have all the information. Ouralienancestry.net. Okay, so it's our yeah. like O U R O U R Alien Ancestry. Ancestry. Yeah. Dot net. Dot net. Yep, that's it. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and as long as we're talking about websites, your website is forgottenorigin.com. So, yes. um and do you have um um links to other podcasts that you've done where people could really um, hear more from you and and Stephen. Yeah, yeah, I've I've got um, a page on that website that's got um, all of the kind of videos on YouTube, um, and then I've got another one uh, that just does podcasts. So um, yeah, that's that's all in there. Um, and then um, yeah, see, so Steve's a prolific writer, so there's oh, I wouldn't know how many articles are on there too. So there'll, yeah. there'll be ones written just about that metal artifact and just about the skulls we were talking about earlier um, and the rings and genetics and, uh, yeah, like I, I think you're always going into categories. Hopefully that helps people. <laughs> but, um, okay. yeah, no, we, we have our fingers in a few things there. <laughs> <clears throat> right, and am I correct that your latest book is called Between a Rock and a Hard Place? 
Yeah. Is that your, so that's, that's your that latest one, book? That That is, and we're actually working on the next one, um, and it's going to be a big one. It's about 900 pages. So I'm actually referencing it right now. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Wow. And, and finding plenty of pictures to throw in as well. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, and you had, um, I, I saw other books uh, when I was looking at your website the other day. Um, mm-hmm. You've got you've got quite a, a collection there. Um, there was one like ancient, ancient aliens um, in Australia or something like that. Yeah, we, we've even got one called Mary Magdalene's Dreaming because we we go into the kind of Gnostic Christian connection to the dreaming. So talking about the divine feminine um, within Gnostic philosophy. So yeah, <laughs> we we have things we have um, areas of interest all over the place really. Um, but yeah, and no, I think we've got about five books out there um, at the moment. And yeah, so it definitely uh-huh. keeps us busy. <laughs> so are but, the are um, the hieroglyphs the hieroglyphs that are are carved into these you know rocks and pieces mm-hmm. and artifacts that you go that you have. Um, are these the same kind of language hieroglyph, hieroglyphs that are found in Egypt? It's uh, a little bit different. It's called Proto-Egyptian, which is a more an older form, um, which they weren't actually aware of until only a few years ago. They found some pottery with the same script on it. Um, but the first kind of researcher that, that went in there, uh, Raymond Johnson, actually wrote a manual about Proto-Egyptian and was working with Dr. Dia Abu Ghazi from the Cairo Library. Um, she kind of had a look at that. So, yeah, Proto-Egyptian is only like a newest discovery. Um, and that's why, you know, you'd have the average university academic going in and going, oh, does that make sense? Yeah, because you're yeah. aware. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> does the term, um, the term proto-Egyptian means that these hieroglyphs were first pre-Egyptian? Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of, yeah, yeah, before the more classic period that we're um, more familiar with. Um, but, you know, we've taken a whole bunch of different people there over the years and uh, often they'll look at the lichen growth. That's something that Eric van Daniken looked at and went, that lichen growth is prolific. Like it's not, it hasn't been done in the last 20, 30 years, which is what they claim. It, it, it's much, much older. So, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> calling out if there are any lichen experts that would like to date some lichen. Uh, it's a pretty special <laughs> yeah, you mean idea. Lichens, lichens like the little little sea animals, L-I-C-H-E-N? Yeah, you know, like the, the a, mossy kind of like patina growth that you'd find in rocks and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so they can use that yeah, for... Anything that goes, like, because huh, there is... Any... A, there is one glyph there that's been done recently and you can see it's almost to use a, um, a modern term it's a different font um which is like, I, I like to font. say and I go, it, it's a missing one it's the wrong font and it's that one and there's no lichen in it and it's not as deep 
Um, and this, yeah, so you can see the difference. But um, uh, the last uh, fully initiated elder of that region, Ani Bev, um, before she passed, told us um, that the original people had their own writing and they were on their own style of writing was on those walls as well. So, uh, and then the uh, Laird Scranton looked at some of the symbols and said, oh, they're Dogon symbols and was able to translate bits. So I think we're looking at those walls almost like a root script, a root language, um, because people from different cultures can go, oh, that's my symbol. Um, and to me, that makes more sense that if it's that old and, and maybe a lot of writings come out of um, those walls. Uh, but there is one that um, everyone calls the UFO glyph. Um, and it looks like a UFO. Um, and I took Giorgio there from Ancient Aliens and, you know, they were pretty excited to see that UFO glyph carved in the walls there. Um, and we were given a story by Ani Bev about people carriers in the sky above and some crashed into the still waters of the Bambara, which is the uh, water area behind it. And then we found rock engravings of UFOs overlooking that area as well that, that look like the ones on the walls. So there's definitely a sky connection, um, a star connection oh, yeah. to that area yeah. as well, without a doubt. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing in that manual that matches that UFO glyph really. Um, so, and some of them are upside down. So it's like telling a story um, about how they got here. Um, and for some of the contacts we had, they talked about Palladium's crash landing in that area and then having issues with the uh, atmosphere and the brightness and things like that. So they had to kind of um, look at a, like a hominid or a being here to to meld with um, to kind of survive. So we might be looking at how we were seeded here as well. So that's, yeah, there's all sorts of things in there like splitting of laboratory chemistry, splitting of people. So it's definitely telling multiple stories on those walls. Um, and wow. it looks like some of it could be about our origin <laughs> on this planet. Right, right. <laughs> well, I have I have long um, thought that the the missing link that they can't find between mm. you know the, the the primates and the and the Homo sapiens, they can't find the missing link, and it's like, well, uh, you should be looking up because you know they're. Yeah. There has been genetic manipulation, as the Definitely. you know the Pleiadians um, gave us some of their um, their DNA to help us evolve. So yeah, I mean I I thought that for a long time. But do you take Definitely. people to visit sacred sites, or is that something that is not a tourist kind of thing? Um, yeah, from time to time we'll, we'll take people to the hieroglyph site, um, but we kind of do it in a, uh, like, yeah. 
informal uh, appropriate way. And if someone's going there, I'll, yeah. I'll instruct them on, on what to do to be respectful to the spirits of the land. There's a tree there called the grandmother tree. It's uh, the type of gum called an engofra, and it's huge. It would be hundreds of years old. It's the biggest one I've ever seen. And it almost grows out of rocks. And I've seen the tree kind of grow out of the rocks, back in, and then out again. So quite an unusual tree, and it's huge. So um, we were always told that you had to actually, um, sounds a bit cliche, to go hug the tree. Um, and you would announce your intentions and, uh, to the actual tree, um, and we would never go to the cliffs without doing that first. Um, right, but yeah, there are other things that we can do, and um, yeah, people talk to the spirits of the land and announce their presence and things like that. So we do things in a culturally sensitive way. Um, that whole area okay. is well, amazing. Yeah. Um, there are there's a healing table there for women, and yeah, just about every uh, woman I know that that and it's had some sort of experience where it's like shutting their eyes and seeing stars and they felt like they were getting transported through a stargate to um, all sorts of things or having some element and then hopping off and going oh I'm better now um, so that's nearby and then I'm, I'm standing around years after years taking women there and going where's the men's one we don't have one this isn't fair and then we're having our lunch and it's finally clicked. There, there it was, right next to us. And to make things even worse, to make us feel even more stupid, um, there was a rock. We lifted a branch, and it was a rock with a massive kind of um, groove um, pointing towards it, like a signpost. And we're like, "Where's that done?" It was right there. Uh, so there is a men's one too. Um, Interesting. Yeah, well, yeah, you have to you have to maintain the balance. You have you to do, maintain yeah, the balance. Yeah. And, and guess what? They're not too far away from each other. You know what I mean? Like within, like there's bushes in between. But you, you know, I think people have this misnomer that oh, well, you know, sacred men's and women's sites are nowhere near each other. No, they're they're pretty close. You know, um, obviously separate, but near enough. Um, you know, because like you said, that that energy needs to be balanced. And it's no right. point having the, the two, you know, a thousand kilometres apart. <laughs> but, um, right. Yeah, well, yeah, this has just so, been I mean, this has been fascinating, Evan. And um, I, I do want to say one more time that your website is Forgotten Origin, and I know you've got a ton of material where you know people can go and investigate, uh, watch videos, listen to other podcasts. And uh, I really appreciate you um, <laughs> taking the time and the effort because um, you're pretty far away. <laughs> I was I was kind of getting tickled because, I mean, for you it's Wednesday. So it's almost like I'm talking yeah. to the future. <laughs> so, you are. Um, I'm talking to you in the future. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep on um, as we get more information about the um, December, the important date in December. We'll we'll keep spreading that information as 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 we get more um, okay, so, details. 
so we suggest that um, people, as we get closer to December 21st, that they um, check your website for more information. Um, you might have some suggestions on and how people exactly. can, you know, really contribute. And really, you exactly. don't have to be in Australia. You can be That's in right. your own living room because to there's no the time last, and space. Um, yeah. That's what one of the elders that came um, to our last online conference said, because you know, people from all around the world going, what can I do? And he said, yeah, basically, you have that intention. You can be in your living room. Or you, you can go to a, you know, a site um, that's nearby you, because it's all, we're all connected through um, a grid work of sacred sites and ley lines and all of that. So, yeah. And we probably do need people all around the world in different spots activating it. <clears throat> yeah. Right. So yeah, we'll just we'll we'll just put it out there and um, check on forgottenorigin.com for updates as we get closer. And there yeah. are so many star seeds awakening. Exactly. Yeah, we've never seen anything like it, and it's almost as if that there's some grand design that all of these people are awake and um, adding to and raising the frequency of the earth. And that's exactly what we need the most, more than anything. Yeah. We're we're definitely on the same boat here, so yeah. So thank you so much for today. Oh, it is it's our pleasure, Evan. Thank you for joining us and um tell tell Steve that uh we appreciate the work that both of you do and we will be following your website because this is a big deal that's coming up. And um we can help turn the tide. Exactly. Okay. All right. Well, Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, We're going to wrap it up now. We thank everyone for listening. And remember to check on ForgottenOrigin.com for the updates on the Australian Elders' Prophecy for 2020. And um, your two cents does count. So check it out. Um, Until next time, we'll be back in two weeks from tonight. Take care of yourselves and show compassion at any chance you get and be grateful for all that we have. Until next time, bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 